Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. With the church here in Revelation chapter 2 in Smyrna, verses 8 through 11, just three verses this morning, um, we're, we're going to look at a church that's going to be, Jesus calls them to be faithful to the point of death. And so last week when we looked at the church of Ephesus, uh, the church in Ephesus might sound a lot like one of the American churches, a church that you may or may not attend. Uh, you know, one, maybe one that you've been to, where they have a lot of head knowledge and they know all the right things and they keep the right doctrine, but they, they come across as unloving. And that was the church in Ephesus. They had everything right doctrinally, but the way that they gave it, the way that they shared the message of Jesus came across heavy-handed, and so Jesus rebuked them for that. This church that we're looking at here in Smyrna, uh, they're a church that's going through persecution, and so when we go through these letters or uh, prophetic messages from Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor, he, he does he usually does seven things, right? So he says, uh, John, I want you to write this, okay? So I want you to write something, and then he tells them about his character. Jesus says something about himself, um, and then he commends them for something, and then he rebukes them for something, and then he calls them to repent and live differently, and then he tells them that he wants them to remember uh, what God has in store for them. Okay, so he normally goes through that process. With this church here in Smyrna, he's not going to do the rebuke part. Um, He knows that what they're going through is really, really difficult, and so instead of having something that he says, hey, I want you to repent from this, he just is really encouraging them. Okay, now the other thing that I will say about this church is it's one that's hard for us as Western Christians to identify with Um, because the level of persecution that's going on here is something that's more like the level of persecution that would go on in Africa or the Middle East or uh, Muslim nations in the Pacific Islands or different places around the world right now where India or China. We don't necessarily identify with this passage because uh, probably none of you have lost your livelihood for saying you're a follower of Jesus. Probably none of you, well, you're all living. So none of you have died for uh, your faith, right? Like, and you're not worried about it either. There's not, you're not like, man, I'm not, I'm kind of afraid I might lose my life in the United States for following Jesus. Like that's not part of how we think, but for, there are many Christians around the world where that is part of how they think. That is something that they encounter. And so uh, this letter is probably more directed towards a church that's experiencing that. So as we approach it, I think it's good for us to do a couple of things. One, be thankful for the freedom that we have, uh, the ability to come together here and worship, which was awesome. I loved it. Um, the, the, you know, bring our voices together and share uh, the, the adoration, the, the honor that's due to God together um, in a loud way. Like this is on YouTube. There's places around the world where they wouldn't even think about doing that, right? Um, the, the ability to, to gather, to share God's word, to, if you want a Bible, I'll give you one. Like that's, we can do that. It's no problem. There are places in the world where that's, that's a bad idea or at least openly, you could get in trouble for that, right? And so it's hard for us to identify totally with this. One thing we can identify with, though, uh, Jesus in John chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. And so there's an idea uh, that if we're 
If we find ourselves embraced by the world system that exists around us, uh, the way of living that rejects God, that uh, thinks that we're good on our own, if we find ourselves loved by that world, we maybe need to check our Christianity. Uh, Because following Jesus is going to stand in opposition to the way that the world operates and thinks. So he says in verse 20, But remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And I think we can identify with that. That for us to live a worldly lifestyle and just match what's going on around us... um, that should be a red flag. Maybe we should check our Christianity. Um, if we're loved by the culture around us that rejects God, if we're loved by the culture around us that uh, has multiple versions of truth, um, maybe, maybe we're not actually speaking up with the freedom that we have. Uh, because to step out and say that I'm a follower of Jesus and, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no other way to the Father except through him, there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, uh, that's, that's a message that's kind of offensive. If we're going to stand up and say, I was once a wretched, useless sinner. I was helpless and hopeless. Uh, my life was a disaster. And then I met Jesus. And because of him, I'm saved from the consequences of my sin. And I'm raised to new life. And I trust that my eternity is secure because of what he has done for me, man, and and I'll be honest with you, if you're not in Christ, you're in a bad place. If you're going to stand up and honestly represent the scriptures, that's going to be offensive. And so if if we're going to have those hard conversations in love, if we're going to share because we care about people, we want to see them come out of darkness and into light, if we're going to do that, there's going to be some pushback. And so that's what this church in Smyrna is encountering, but at levels that we can't necessarily identify with. So a little bit of historical background on this city and this church, okay? So the city, uh, we looked at Ephesus last week, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Asia to the Roman mind, they would just have called it it Asia. It's about 35 miles from Ephesus, Smyrna is, and it's also a port city. And so uh, it was was known for uh, its its elegance, its wealth. It was known for producing perfumes, um, the particularly the production of myrrh was a big part of who uh, they were. Uh, The coins that we found in in archaeology tell us that they they viewed themselves as the first in Asia in beauty and size. Uh, It's still a modern-day city. There's about 200,000 people that live there today. Um, And uh, it was also a place where uh, the religion of Rome was pretty popular. Okay, so Tiberius uh, Caesar, he, in 26 AD, he set up the second imperial cult, so a temple dedicated to the emperor, uh, the worship of the emperor was set up in Smyrna. It was the second one. Uh, The city had a long-standing relationship with Rome all the way back to 195 BC and it was the first place anywhere that they had erected a temple to the goddess Roma. Okay, so there's a lot of Roman worship going on in the city. Some other things that are happening, if you know your Bible, you know that there were three great kings of Israel. There was Saul, David, and Solomon. And when Solomon died, uh, there were some sins that led the nation to be split. And so you had the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Judah, the Assyrians come in and they conquer uh, Israel. And then uh, a little bit later, 586 BC, the Babylonians come. God uses the Babylonians to judge Jerusalem and Judah and it falls. And then because of that, there's a great dispersion of Jewish people throughout the known world. 
Okay? And so because of that, there's Jewish, little pockets of Jewish population throughout most of the Roman world. One of those place, places is in Smyrna. And so we're going to see Jesus talk about, he calls them the synagogue of Satan. They claim to be Jews, but they're not. They're from the synagogue of Satan. So you have this, you have two pressures on the church as we go through uh, these, these, ver- these, uh, these chapters on uh, the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. The two pressures are you kind of have the Greco-Roman pressure. And the Greco-Roman pressure, it's one of sort of do whatever feels good, right? So if it feels good, go for it. We're going to worship the creation and then we're going to do whatever we want sexually. In fact, there's sexual acts that we're going to view as acts of worship. Um, and we're going to kind of, whatever, whatever feels good, go for it, right? You do you would be kind of the idea there. The other side of it is uh, the, the, the Jewish side is very much a religious side that's saying, no, don't you do you. But instead, here's all the rules and you need to follow the rules really, really closely. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about those two extremes is they're both sides of the same coin. And the coin is the rejection of God. One side says, do whatever you want in rejection of God. The other side says, uh, we're rejecting the gospel of Jesus and we are going to perfect ourselves through religious observation and what we do, we're going to make ourselves right with God. Both reject the gospel. You're either going to do what you want and whatever feels good or be the religious moral elite and look down on everybody else because you're better than them. Both of those reject the gospel. One of them needs to recognize that the indulgence of our flesh isn't where we find life, but it's in Christ. And the other one needs to recognize that we don't become right with God through our self-effort, but through what Jesus has done for us. And so those are the pressures that are on the church. They might still exist today. Um, Let me pray, and we'll, we'll look at these verses together. So, Father, this morning we come to you. Uh, will you show us where we're at in this? Uh, maybe, maybe we're a mix of these two things, indulging our flesh and, and religious performance. Maybe we're really heavy on one and, and not so much on the other. Whatever it is, God, that we're struggling with, your word is, is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts through us. It shows us the things that need to be dealt with. And so, God, we pray your word would do that this morning. We pray that your spirit would be active in each of our lives and our conscience and our mind and our heart, guiding us to live a different way. Uh, we want to be like your son. That's a promise that you've made to us so that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of your son. And so this is something that's true for us as your followers. You're going to make us like your son, Jesus. And so we want to be uh, we want to be moldable. Will you show us that? Will you also give us a heart for fellow believers who are hurting, fellow believers who are going through serious trial around this world? Uh, will you cause us to see our freedom as something that's a blessing um, and, and that we would use that blessing in a way that... Uh, in a way that honors you, in a way that takes the gospel seriously. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2, it says, Write to the angel of the church in, of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. So here's our... Our line where he says, John, this is what I want you to write. I want you to write to, I'm telling you, write to this church in Smyrna. And I want this church that's undergoing persecution, I want you to tell them that I'm the first and the last. I want them to know that I was dead and I have come to life. Uh, You understand uh, who Jesus is, uh, there's nobody else like him. He's the only one that is the first and the last, right? He is the uncreated one. He is the creator of everything. He is eternal. He, He created life as we understand it. He created you you. He knits you in your mother's womb. He knows everything there is to know about you. He's the first and the last, the uncreated one, the one who has brought life into existence. 
And he's the one who was dead and has come to life. He is the one that saw our sin. He saw us far from him. And he didn't go, look at those wretched sinners. Let me get away from them. He said, no, look at those ones that I love. I'm going to move towards them. I'm going to seek and save the lost. And so he died and he gave his life to seek and save us, the lost ones, so that we could be brought back into relationship with him. He died a death that paid the full consequences, all the weight of sin done away with once and for all. And if you trust in that, if you believe him, that his death is sufficient to cover all of your sins, and that he was raised from the dead, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not who you were. You're new. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're this brand new creation in him. This is the promise that he gives. He is the one who gives life in that we have breath, but he's also the one who gives life in that we do not face spiritual death anymore. We are spiritually alive because Jesus was dead but came back to life. His resurrection is the power of you living a real life. Not just a pulse, but alive. He is the one who's made this capable. He is the one that gives this to you. Nobody else can, by the way. You can't find this anywhere else. I don't care where you go or what you turn to. Nothing else will give you life as God intended it. Because Jesus had to defeat the death of your old ways in order to give you the new life that he offers you now. And so, are you in him? Do you, do you know what this is? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what he's capable of? Not just what he's capable of, but what he's done. Are you a new creation? Have you been transferred from death to life, out of darkness and into life? Are your sins forgiven and wiped away? Uh, do you approach God with boldness because uh, you know that you're his child adopted as a son and a co-heir with Christ, blessed with all the spiritual blessings in Christ, that he doesn't hold back anything from you because you're forgiven? And when he looks at you, he sees his son and he just wants to love and bless you. Do you know him? This is what he's inviting us to. This is who Jesus is. And so he tells this church that's under persecution, he's the first and the last. He's the one who gives life. He was dead and came to life. He says in verse 9, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And so what's happening in this church is, uh, Smyrna, like I told you a minute ago, it's, it's a place that's known for wealth. It's a place that's known for uh, creating goods and, and trading things. And because of their ability to uh, make perfumes and different things, they're, they're a wealthy community. They're first in beauty, right? That's the way they describe themselves. And so, uh, you know, they're maybe the, the L.A. or the, the Paris, right? That, that's kind of the idea. That's how they view themselves, first in beauty. They're, they're fashionable. They're wealthy. And what happens in these cities is they would have had civic organizations and guilds that would then come together and those guilds and civic organizations would be made of tradesmen and those different tradesmen would work together to produce things at a greater level so that they could have more wealth, so that they could create more wealth. Well, one of the things that happens is the Jewish people were really good at this. They'd actually, over the years, uh, formed their own civic organizations and their own guilds. And so the Jewish people had come together in this way and because of it, they were, they, they were known for wealth. They were known for being good at certain trades and creating wealth. Now, here's what you have to imagine, is that you're one of these Jewish people. You're one of these Jewish people, and you have, uh, you have been learning the Old Testament. You understand the God of the Old Testament. You understand that there's a, this story of Joseph in the Old Testament, where there's this guy who suffers and saves everyone else. And then you get to Isaiah, and you read about the suffering servant, and you realize there's a Messiah who's going to suffer and take the consequences of our sin, and then because of that, we're going to be forgiven. Our iniquity is going to be on him. The, the chastening that's deserved to us, God's going to be 
be, be glad to give it out on his son Jesus so that we can be saved. There's a Messiah that's going to come like this. And so you're, that, you're of that mindset. You're of a Jewish person. And then on top of that, you're a part of one of these guilds. You're making money. You're part of one of these civic organizations. And you're doing well. You've become wealthy. And then somebody comes into town and they tell you, you know that suffering Messiah in the Old Testament? You know that, uh, that Messiah that we read about in Isaiah? Uh, did you know that he came? Oh, beg your pardon? Yeah, his name was Jesus. He came from Nazareth and he lived a sinless life. God, uh, God in, uh, through the Holy Spirit, uh, made his mother pregnant and he was, he was born. He was actually God in flesh and he walked among us and he showed us grace and truth and, and he performed miracles, many miracles before the uh, hundreds of eyewitnesses over and over again and then he died on the cross and he did this crazy thing when he died on the cross. He yelled out, it is finished. It's paid in full. What a weird thing for somebody to yell as they die. He yells that out on the cross that it is finished. It's paid in full. And then he died and he gave up his spirit. And you know, it's crazy. His disciples, they didn't know what was going on. But three days later, he got up from the grave and he appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses multiple times. In fact, uh, Paul, he was in Ephesus not that long ago. John's there now, um, or used to be there. He's, 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 you know, he's been uh, on Patmos and, and, and he's lost his place in Ephesus. But he was actually one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus's death burial and resurrection. He, he like touched his risen body and he had food with him and he walked with him and he, he was commissioned by him to go and share this with the nation so that all who place faith in Jesus would be forgiven of their sins and, and, and given new life if they trusted that he was raised from the dead. And so this Jewish person hears this and they go, whoa, the spirit of God moves in them. They believe and they're no longer a part of the Jewish community because the Jewish community, they reject Jesus. If you read the book of Acts, you see this over and over again. Paul goes into the synagogue, he shares, and they kick him out. There's different groups of influential Jewish people that try to have him killed on multiple occasions. And this is what happens throughout the first century. These Jewish people do this over and over again. They reject the Messiah and his followers. And so you're this wealthy person, and you place faith in Jesus. You lose your position in the guild. All of a sudden, the money's not coming in anymore. And now you're experiencing affliction and poverty. But he says, but you're rich. Not with the wealth of this world. Not with money. But you're rich in Christ. You're, you're, your treasure isn't stored up in what you can gain from your employment. Your treasure is stored up in heaven. And so you understand that you're, you're suffering. It, it, it's happening. But it's, it's temporary and light compared to the eternal glory of knowing Jesus. And so you're willing to lay it aside and suffer for the name of Jesus so that you can be vindicated. So that you can be shown to have a life that follows him. You're, you're not going to back down. I, under, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you're rich. And so some of us experience something that's maybe just a little tiny bit like this. There were many people that when the vaccine mandates come out, they were afraid they were going to lose their jobs because they didn't want to do that. And I'm not here to talk about vaccine politics. I don't even want to. Um, but there were people that experienced this where they're like, I might lose my job because of the medical choices I want to make. Now, this is a totally different level. This is if you stand up and go to the church and get baptized, you're getting kicked out of your job. You're losing the connections that you have. Life is going to get hard. Um, we, we've had some of our missionaries over. One of them works with a, a Near East organization. His name is Nadim Costa. And Nadim shared a story of two Muslim men in one of the places where he was that they had, they had been talking to them about Jesus. Jesus then came to them in, in a dream and he shares different things with them. And uh, the other side of that is they say, we want to be baptized. We actually want to follow Jesus. And so they set up a time for them to be baptized. And they show up to the baptism with their belongings. It wasn't a lot, but they showed up. They packed their bags. 
Because they understood that when they got in that water and they made that public profession of faith, they were going to lose their family. They were going to lose the connections that they had. They were going to be outcast by society. This is what goes on in different parts of the world. Now, when we got baptized, we had cookies. <laughs> it's very different, right? It's not the same. And so we recognize that we have this freedom. We recognize that our life is really easy. We have a lot of freedom. It's pretty smooth. There's some chops in the water, but nothing like what's going on in different parts of the world. And so one of the things that I think we need to recognize, can you imagine one of these two Muslim men showing up here and being like ex-Muslim men showing up here and going, whoa, you guys just sing? You can just pass out Bibles? This is on YouTube? You didn't like change your name? You got a pseudonym? Kazorki's a pseudonym. That's a weird name. You made that up. Um, like, they don't think that. They, they would be in awe that we can do what we can do, right? That would be kind of the way that they would interact. And then we're like, you know, I don't know about that difficult conversation with a family member. They're like, are you kidding me? I got kicked out of my family. And you won't have the difficult conversation? Well, I don't know if I really want to stand up and be known for a Christian in the workplace. That, that, that'd be a little awkward. Awkward? Try broke. Like, do we recognize the freedom that we have and how light things are comparatively? The other thing that he says, he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. They are the synagogue of Satan. I've already talked to you a little bit about this. The two pressures, the Greco-Roman pressure, do whatever you want. If it feels good, go for it. And the, and the Jewish pressure, which is, you know, live up to the commands of the law. If you want to be a, a real follower of God, you got to eat certain foods. You got to, you got to do certain things. You got to get circumcised. You got to do all these different things. There's all these rules. You got to follow the Sabbath, you know, these types of things. The religious elite versus the... You know, it's kind of like the conservative versus the liberal, honestly. Do whatever you want. No, you have to follow the rules, right? Um, and so we experience this in our, in our life in that way. But he calls them the synagogue of Satan. He's actually saying that they are, they are a group of people that are f directed by satanic beings. It's an interesting contrast because in chapter 1, he talks about how uh, the seven churches, there's seven stars, and the seven stars are the seven angels, and there's seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. And so there's this idea within the church, there's actually angelic beings driving what's taking place. God actually has angelic protection and guidance for the churches, as well as his own presence. God walks, Jesus walks among the lampstands. And the flip side of it is there's this other group of religious people who are actually driven by satanic beings. Um, that there's a, there's a spiritual warfare going on there, like Romans chapter six, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, that our battle is against flesh and blood, but there's actually something deeper going on. And so he calls them that. They're, they're claiming to represent God, but in fact they're, they're not. But your hardship, your poverty. And in verse 10 he says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You're going to go through difficult times. I want you to understand that. Uh, he's going to throw some of you into prison, and I want you to be faithful to the point of death. And then he uses that phrase where he says, you'll be there for ten days. It's not actually referring to a literal ten days. But if you know uh, Daniel, right? Uh, the book of Daniel, he's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem gets taken. They get taken captive, him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You're all picturing veggie tales. Um, but before that... <laughs> 
before that, they're told that they're, 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 they're supposed to eat a certain diet, but this diet is a diet they're not allowed to have. And so we're not going to do that. We're not going to have meat that's boiled in milk. We're not supposed to do that. We don't want to eat that. It's unclean. But instead, what we would rather do is just give us some vegetables, which I mean, I guess if you have to. Um, but so they go through the process of this 10 days with vegetables. And the other side of it, the guy looks at him. He says, you're actually healthier than everybody else. And so this godly lifestyle is vindicated as something that produces good life. And that's what he's saying. You're going to go through this. It's going to be 10 days. But the idea is you're going to go through this. And on the other side of it, you're going to be vindicated. Even if it costs you your life, even to the point of death, you're going to be vindicated as people who live a righteous life and represent God well. If you don't know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, I'll read them later. But Jesus, or what Paul tells us in that passage is that we go through the difficulties in life so that the life of Jesus may be made evident in us. So whatever it is that you're going through, for them, this is severe persecution. Maybe you have something different going on in your life. Whatever God has you going through, the point behind it, uh, one, is that he's going to conform you to the name of, of his son through the molding process that goes on there. But the, but the other part of it is he's going to make his life revealed through you, and you're going to be vindicated on the other side of cancer. You're going to be vindicated on the other side of whatever, right? You go through it with your eyes on him, trusting that he has you. And even if you were to lose your life, he says you're going to receive a crown of life. Even if, even if you were to die, uh, you're going to receive this crown of life, that your eternity is secure. And that's the point there. Now, one of John's disciples, his name was Polycarp. Uh, he would become the bishop of, of Smyrna. And he was killed, executed in 50, 156 AD. Uh, but before he died, he said this. He said, for 86 years, I have been his servant, Jesus' servant. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Uh, he goes through this place where they're, they're testing to the point of death. And this is 60, 70 years later at least that the polycarp goes through this. So 10 days, right? The, the point isn't the time period, but you're going to go through this. But the other side of it, you're going to be vindicated. The other side of it, even if you lose your life, he says in verse 11, that let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the seven churches, to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. So even when Polycarp went to the stake and he was burned there, he lost his physical life, but his spiritual life went on. He was given a crown of life. You and I will get to interact with him someday in heaven. Like there's, there's a time and a place known as uh, the new heavens and the new earth where we're going to get to interact with people who are from all, the, all ages have been followers of Christ. And so the city, I, I don't have time to get into it, but when we get to the new Jerusalem in chapter 21, this idea, this is enormous city where millions and millions of people could live. Um, and we're going to get to kind of like, you might get to have tea with Polycarp. I don't know, but uh, maybe not tea. I, I don't know. Um, but Whatever. The, the idea is that, that the crown of life is there. That eternity is secure. And the other, the other part of it is nobody can take it from you. Like, I can't take it from you. You can't take it to you from you. The old line is, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Like, some of you can't keep track of your keys. But <laughs> Jesus has secured eternity for you. It's not something you do. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he secures it. Now, from that place of security, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling in a way that wants to honor him. But we don't work for our salvation. We work it out because we know that we are secure. And that's what he's calling this church to do. And so I wonder if you have this level of confidence about your eternity. 
Do you have this level of confidence about your return? Are you secure in Christ? And from your position of security, what should that change about your relationships? From that position of security and, and, and knowing that in the United States we're blessed. You want to share Jesus with somebody this afternoon? Go for it. Worst thing they do is tell you to leave them alone. Now, that might be a relationship that you care about. And that's a difficult conversation. But heaven forbid we have those, right? Like, dig in. Care about people. Love them. Be willing to have the difficult conversation. Because in that conversation, you are Christ's ambassador here for the purpose of making him known so that others can come into relationship with him. Like, that's what it's about. And I think the other thing we need to recognize is that other people around the world do not have it the same way that we do. There are parts of the world where things are very, very difficult. Uh, one of the guys that I know, uh, I, I played softball with him over the years, and then he moved on, and he's, he did some uh, missions work in Afghanistan, and then obviously going to Afghanistan is really dangerous right now after the United States left, and uh, so a lot of the Afghan Christians actually went up the road to Tajikistan, to, to and my friend, he's actually heading over there next uh, in the next couple of weeks to work with Christians uh, in an underground church in Tajikistan and move uh, Bibles and different materials so that one-on-one can discipleship can continue to happen in Afghanistan. Uh, there are people that are working hard on the front line so that these types of uh, relationships and this type of discipleship and this following of Jesus can take place. One of the other places that things like that are going to happen is Courtney Kratz is here with us this morning. And uh, Courtney, come on up here. Um, Courtney is uh, one of the missionaries that we support with uh, uh, YWAM is who Courtney's working with. And uh, you've been doing some training, right? So tell us about the last, we, we last talked like like maybe six weeks ago. What have you been doing yeah. for the last six, eight weeks? I think it's on. This on? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been training up in Salem, Oregon, as most of you guys know, with YWAM. And so I'm going through a um, biblical foundational counseling school. Um, and so we're about halfway through, um, going into week eight right now. Um, and so learning different topics through counseling. Um, and it's been, it's been a lot different topics every single week. Um, different speakers from all over the world have been coming and training us on how to do biblical counseling and how to listen to a person and just build relationships with them. So I have about five more weeks left before we leave for outreach. Okay, so you finish the five weeks, and then where do you go after that? So we're going to Poland. <laughs> very excited. I have a team. Um, we have three leaders, and then eight of us students are going. Okay. And what's going to happen in Poland? Who are you going to be working with? Yeah. So we are going to be in Krakow, Poland. Um, it's on the southern part. Um, and we're going to be working with refugees and the workers there. Um, we're going to be doing family and respite ministries, so helping them to, to rest, take a load off. And hmm. um, we're going to be debriefing with the workers and debriefing with the refugees we're going to be meeting with. Um, and also just building in one-on-one -on -one relationships with the refugees. Um, with, as a woman, with the women, with the children, and just hearing their story, um, building up a relationship with them, and kind of just walking alongside them and counseling um, as they process their entire life changing. Right. And these are refugees from Ukraine, right? So uh, obviously everybody knows what's going on in Ukraine and there's lots of refugees. Uh, one of our other missionaries, Kevin and Daniela Dixon, they were here not that long ago. They have a couple in their house. Um, uh, they're in their early 60s, medical issues, different things that have been displaced by what's happening in Ukraine. So there's Courtney's working with Ukrainian refugees. Yeah. Kevin and Daniela actually have an older couple staying with them in their house. Um, and so this is something that's happening around the world right now where people are being displaced because of 
of the way that the world operates. Uh, because of sin, honestly. Uh, without sin, these are, these are things that don't take place. And so, uh, I just want to remind you uh, one more time here. The beautiful message of the cross is that sin has been dealt with. Um, the, the wrong that has been done to you and the wrong that you have done to others, Christ has taken that. Um, and, and so, uh, if you trust Him, you're forgiven. If you believe that He died on the cross for the consequences of your sin, and that He was raised from the dead, you proclaim that with your mouth, you are saved from the consequences of your sin. And as we see in this, a crown of life awaits you. No matter what happens in this life, a crown of life awaits you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you've placed your faith in and what he's done. And his name is Jesus. So let me pray and we'll thank him for that in communion right now. Father, this morning we thank you to be able to hear from Courtney and what she has on her plate. We do lift her and the different people she's going to be working with in Poland. We lift them up to you. We trust you to bless them, to guide them for your spirit, to give them the words that they need in the circumstances that they find themselves in. We trust you to do that for us as well, God, that, that your words are, are, are in us. Uh, you are in us and you are the word. And so your word is in us and it, it should be ready and available on our mouths. We should have this defense ready to go to share why we trust you. And so I pray that Courtney was able to do, is able to do that in her time in, in Poland, continue to prepare her and this team. We lift up the entire Ukrainian situation to you. God, we long for your return. Oh, what I, just to think about no more sin, no more death, no more war, no more evil. Uh, we long for your return. But while we wait, may we be faithful servants of you, uh, trusting that you have our lives and this world in your hands and you're guiding it to an ultimate consummation where you return and make everything right. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.